welcome to Your Anxious Therapist, where you'll find all things related to anxiety, panic attacks, and health anxiety. I'm your host, Haley, and I'll be sharing my own insights and experiences as someone who has personally struggled with anxiety. I'll be real and honest, taking you deep into the nitty gritty parts of anxiety that just aren't talked about enough, because I want you to know that you're not alone in this. I'll also be sharing powerful tools, strategies, and tips that will empower you to take your life back so that you can overcome your anxiety for good. Now let's get started. All right, so for today's episode, I wanted to do a Q&A type of episode where I can answer questions that you guys pre-submitted beforehand about different topics related to anxiety and anxiety recovery. So I'm going to try my best to answer as many questions as I can in today's episode. So the first question is about intrusive thoughts. And someone asked, how do you work through intrusive thoughts? How do you manage them? And I really like this question because a lot of you asked about intrusive thoughts before, and there are a lot of different ways that you can go about understanding how to navigate through this. So first and foremost, what you need to understand about intrusive thoughts are that they are unwanted thoughts, images, or urges, which can cause you a significant amount of distress and anxiety. The key word here is that they are unwanted and that they are distressing. So with intrusive thoughts, they go completely against your values and who you are as a person. You don't like these types of thoughts and you don't want them to be there and you really don't want them to keep showing up, but they do over and over and over again. And intrusive thoughts can not only be distressing, but they can also feel disturbing and they can be about taboo topics. So I can actually do an entire episode on intrusive thoughts because there's so much to it. But basically how you start to manage and work on intrusive thoughts is really about how you respond and relate to your thoughts. So the more that you feel anxious and scared and afraid of the content of your intrusive thoughts, and the more that you try to do things like thought stopping, which means that you try to stop yourself from having the thought once it comes up, or you try to quickly push it away, the more that these thoughts will come back, almost like a boomerang effect, they'll keep coming back over and over again. So what you want to do is to work on this is how you respond to intrusive thoughts. And I really like to give this as a quick example. So imagine that your intrusive thoughts are like a spam caller. If there's a spam number that's calling your phone, you can look down at your phone and you see that it's a spam caller. It probably even says spam likely underneath the number. So what do you do? Do you answer the phone and get sucked in and trapped by the person that's on the other line who's trying to spam you and probably scam you for money? Or do you let the spam call go to your voicemail? And this is exactly what you want to do with intrusive thoughts. You can acknowledge that it's an intrusive thought. And then in that moment, you make the choice not to respond to that thought and you make the choice not to engage with it. You don't answer that phone call. And this can feel really hard to do because the thoughts can feel really scary. They can feel scary. They can feel urgent. They can create a lot of doubt. They can create a lot of distress for you. 
but it's really important not to fall for the trap and to engage with your intrusive thoughts because that's exactly how they suck you in. When you engage with your intrusive thoughts, then it's got you, you know, it's able to hook you in. So what you can start to do with your intrusive thoughts is notice the thought, acknowledge it, and then try your best to go back to doing what you were doing before you just had that thought. You know, don't stop what you're doing because of the thought. And remember, intrusive thoughts mean absolutely nothing about who you are as a person. They go directly against your values and they go directly against the things that are most important to you. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with you for having these types of thoughts. And like I said, I can actually do an entire podcast episode on intrusive thoughts because there's so much more to it. But this is just sort of a quick bit to answer your question about how do you start navigating through intrusive thoughts because it can feel really, really tricky. But you really would just want to try your best not to engage in this back and forth with your intrusive thoughts like, oh no, what does this thought mean about me? What does this mean about me as a person? Am I a horrible human being for having this type of thought? What if somebody finds out I have these types of thoughts and they're disgusted by me? Or they, you know, they hate me or they find out this horrible thing about me. You know, you start questioning and doubting who you are as a person because of your intrusive thoughts. But what you have to know is that your thoughts mean nothing about who you are as a person, okay? And there's nothing wrong with you for having these thoughts. They're called intrusive thoughts for a reason because they're unwanted thoughts that show up over and over again when you don't want them to show up. All right, so the next question I got is, how do you work on believing your doctor when they say that you're healthy and you get your normal test results back and everything came back perfectly fine? And this can feel really tricky, right, when you have health anxiety because your doctor could tell you a hundred times that you're healthy and you can get all the tests done in the world. You could get second opinions, third opinions, fourth opinions from all different types of doctors and you still would not believe them. And why don't you believe the doctor? It's because health anxiety creates doubt. It's always going to try to create doubt and uncertainty, which is why it's so difficult to believe the test results and to believe your doctor. But you have to ask yourself this, at what point will I believe my doctor? How many tests is it going to take to believe them? How many different opinions would I need to get? Where does the line get drawn for me? So all this to say is that it's super important to try to take a look at why you don't believe the doctor, even if you've had tons of te normal tests come back. You could have all the tests done in the world, every single test that you could ever get done, but then there will be that little tiny voice saying, yeah, but what if they miss something, right? It'll always say something like that. Yeah, what if they miss something? What if the doctor's wrong? And then you start to feel anxious all over again. So what you want to do is label this as anxiety, label it as this is my anxiety, this is health anxiety, and this is why it's creating so much doubt and uncertainty for me. And then telling yourself, I choose to believe the facts of what is right in front of me. So for example, my blood work says this, 
or the numbers look like this and trying your best not to add any more to the story because that's where you get tripped up that's where you get stuck is like well what if this means something else or what if this doesn't mean this or what if this means something you know so you start kind of going down this rabbit hole but you really what you want to do is sort of label the facts that are right in front of you which is this is my blood work this is exactly what the numbers are all right, so the next question is, why are physical symptoms so much more persistent than the mental ones? And this is another really great question. And the reason why is because more than likely, your body and your nervous system are still in this sensitized and hyperstimulated state. And when this happens, your body has so many physical symptoms and bodily sensations that are caused by an overactive stress response that's happening in your body. And when you experience stress and anxiety and you experience it from time to time, you do get physical symptoms along with the mental ones, but it's able to come and go more quickly and your body is able to recover and recuperate afterwards. So a quick example of this is, let's say you're driving and there's this car that kind of cuts you off out of nowhere. You might feel that stress response come up. You know, you feel that stress response or you feel anxious in the moment, like, oh my God, this guy almost hit me or he cut me off. He was really close to hitting my car. So you feel that stress response and you feel that anxiety, but it's able to kind of quickly come down afterwards, shortly afterwards, right? But when you're in a chronic state of anxiety, your body doesn't have a chance or an opportunity to fully recover. So it stays in this hyper-stimulated state. Your baseline is highly anxious and stressed, and therefore you can experience tons of different symptoms throughout your body until your nervous system has time to desensitize to this. So this is why a lot of the time that your physical symptoms can feel so much more persistent than the mental ones. So the next question is, how do I not lose hope in the process of recovering from anxiety? And there were actually a few different questions that people asked related to anxiety recovery, if it's still possible to recover from it when you've been struggling with it for a while, and you know, how do you know when you're recovering from anxiety? So Losing hope can definitely happen when you're on this journey because you start to feel defeated. And I think every person experiences this when they're on their journey. Maybe you've been trying to recover for a while and you're not really sure if you're on the right path or if you're even making any progress at all. But what you need to understand is that you're probably making a lot of progress without even realizing it. So I would say that if you're somebody who is starting to lose hope when trying to recover from anxiety, here are a few suggestions. Notice when you're saying things like, why am I not further along by now? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just get over this already? Look at all these other people. They're able to do things normally and I can barely leave my house without feeling anxious. So saying things like this can keep you in this defeated state of mind because you're beating yourself up. You're being harsh on yourself and you're comparing yourself to other people and where they're at. So it's important to really, really try and give yourself some kindness and some self-compassion when you're working on recovering from anxiety. 
even on the days where you're feeling frustrated and are losing hope. Actually, especially on the days you're feeling frustrated and losing hope, it's super important to take a step back and to be kind to yourself and compassionate with yourself, okay? And I know that it's really hard to do that when you're feeling really frustrated and overwhelmed, but you know, you don't know what someone else's journey is like. It might, you know, they might seem like someone else is doing something normally. Like, why are they able to do this and I can't? But they're not struggling with the same things that you are. Or who knows, maybe they are struggling, right? We we often don't know if somebody is experiencing anxiety or not. We really don't know what somebody else is going through, a complete stranger that we're just looking at from the outside looking in, right? You just don't know. So I think it's important to try to take a step back and say, okay, well, let me try to focus more on myself. Let me try to be more kind and compassionate towards myself because it's not doing me any good to beat myself up over this. And another tip is that can be helpful for losing hope is to start recognizing and acknowledging the small wins. So take a look at each day and give yourself praise and acknowledgement for doing something and for making progress even if it seems like it's the smallest thing to you you might think this is ridiculous why would I be celebrating myself for this but nothing is too small to celebrate when you're able to celebrate those small wins it makes you realize that you you're actually making more progress than you might realize and this in turn can help you when you're feeling like you're losing hope So what were you able to do despite your anxiety? Were you able to go outside? Were you able to be by yourself for a short period of time without your safe person? Were you able to run an errand? Were you able to walk down your block? Were you, what are just, so those are some examples, but what are some things that you have been doing and how have you been responding to your anxiety? So try to notice that and celebrate those wins. All right. Um, so another question I got was, what do you do when you wake up in the morning and you have a racing heart? And this is something that's very common for people to experience, especially first thing in the morning. So to answer that question, what you want to do is just let your heart race. I know that sounds really ironic, right? Well, what do you mean? I, you're probably thinking, why? Why would you say something like that? But the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of times we're like, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get this to stop? But what if I told you, you don't have to get it to stop in that moment. You don't have to try to force your heart to stop racing. It feels really uncomfortable and it feels very scary. But honestly, you know, cortisol levels are typically highest in the morning. And so that can be a reason why you might be waking up with a racing heart in the morning. Okay. But You don't really need to do anything about your heart racing in that moment. So because the more that you hyper fixate on trying to fix it and trying to force it to stop racing, the more anxious you might feel. And for some people, they can say, okay, you know what? My heart's racing right now. Like, let me just take a few deep breaths if I can. And that's okay to try to do that. If you want to do that, and especially if it helps you to do that, just to take a few deep breaths close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, try to slow your breathing a little bit. You can absolutely do that. But sometimes people get stuck in 
trying to fix it very quickly. And then if, it, if their heart rate doesn't lower, then they start to get even more anxious and they start to think, oh no, something's really wrong with me because my heart won't stop racing even though I'm trying to do these breathing techniques. So if you do wake up in the morning and your heart is racing, what I would say is don't continue to lay in bed and focus on those heart sensations. Try to get up and start your day. So this can look like washing your face, getting up and washing your face, right? Um, doing a workout. You can do a light workout if you want, right? Or you can do yoga. You can do something in the morning. You can stretch. You can make yourself breakfast. You can cook yourself breakfast in the morning. But do whatever it is that you typically do in your normal routine in the morning, even if your heart is racing. Because sometimes people get stuck with, you know, I'm, I'm going to lay in bed. I'm going to fixate on it. I'm too anxious. I can't, I really can't get out of bed. So try as best as you can to get up and get the day started and get moving. All right. So another question I got is how can I feel joy in my life again when I'm feeling anxious? And I know that it can feel like all the joy gets sucked out of your life when you're struggling with anxiety. So if this is something that you struggle with, I want you to think about what are some things that you used to enjoy doing and things that brought you joy before anxiety took over your life. So what are some things that made you feel good? What made you laugh? What made you smile? What made you feel joy? What made you feel alive? Think about that for a few moments and really answer those questions if you can. And it can be the smallest thing. So for me, what brings me joy is watching my cats doing something cute. They can be cleaning themselves. They can be sleeping. Basically, anything that my cats do is really cute. So it brings me joy to look at them and watch them be cute. <laughs> and, you know, another thing that brings me joy is watching a beautiful sunset. That brings me joy. So joy can be in the small moments. And you can even start to create a list of things that bring you joy. And you can actively seek them out throughout your day. So this is something that can be really, really helpful to try to feel joy in your life again. You can feel joy again by trying to recreate those moments as much as you can. All right, so the next question is, how do you stop catastrophizing the worst about your health? And I know this one is so hard. It's really hard to not catastrophize. Your mind is always going to be going to those worst case scenarios, but it's important to recognize when you're getting sucked into this vortex of catastrophizing and you want to try to pull yourself out from it the moment that you notice it. For example, something that personally helped me is that whenever I noticed myself doing this and catastrophizing, I told myself, nope, we're not going there today. That's all I said to myself. I said, nope, we're not going there. We're not doing it today. And for some reason, it was able to snap me out of that moment and I was able to take a step back. So what you want to do is try to find something or some type of way to interrupt this cycle and this pattern as much as possible. And in order to stop catastrophizing, you have to be aware that you're doing it in the first place. You have to be able to try to catch yourself and label it and say, oh, there I go. That, you know, I'm catastrophizing again speak out loud what it is that you're catastrophizing about because sometimes when we speak the words out loud it just lands differently we can get a different perspective about it because we're hearing our own words instead of it cycling through our heads 
And, and that can help you because you don't become so attached to the fears, right? So instead of catastrophizing, ask yourself, what is the truth of this situation in this moment? And you can also ask yourself, what can I do about this situation? Is this something that can be solved? And this can help take you out of worry mode and catastrophizing mode and instead turn it into problem solving mode. All right. So another question is, um, what if your family doesn't support or understand your anxiety? This is a really good question too. All of these are good questions, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And it can feel really hard to deal with this situation if you have family that just doesn't understand or support your anxiety. So first and foremost, see if you can try to send them information, like different articles or different videos to help them better understand your anxiety or just to better understand anxiety in general. Because a lot of times it's just a complete lack of knowledge and understanding about anxiety. When somebody doesn't struggle with anxiety, they really don't understand it in the way that we get it. You know what I mean? So when somebody starts to understand it better, then they know how to respond better. If you tell them exactly what you need in order to feel supported step by step, then there's a possibility that they will now know how to support you. So you want to be able to ask yourself, have I been able to articulate and communicate with my family exactly how I need to be supported and exactly what I would like them to do when I am struggling with anxiety? But unfortunately, there are other situations with families where they either don't want to try to understand or they continue responding in the same way over and over again, even if you've told them a hundred times about your anxiety. They just don't get it or they just keep responding in the same way and it can feel incredibly frustrating. So here's what I would say to this, okay? If they aren't able to support you in the way that you really need to be supported or they just still don't understand your anxiety it's it's like they just don't get it they still don't get it then don't keep trying to explain it to them you know if this is something that you've tried over and over and over and over again maybe just try to pause and take a step back and say you know how can i protect my own inner peace in this moment because it's, it's only going to stress you out and make you feel worse if you keep trying and they keep not supporting you in the way that you really like to be supported. and Or if they're still showing that they're not understanding or they keep doing things. So I think, it, you know, what I'm trying to say is it, it is really important to try to set boundaries and try as best as you can to explain it to them over and over again. But Sometimes there are people that are just unwilling to understand and it can be very frustrating and very difficult to navigate through this situation. But if you're able to find someone else in your life that does understand and that can support you. So who is someone else in your life that can support you, right? Is it a friend? Is it a partner? You know, who else in your life can not only make you feel supported, but can try to understand, you know? And and the truth is that as much as we want our loved ones to understand anxiety, if they don't struggle with anxiety, it can be incredibly hard for them to fully understand it. And But the thing is, you don't need them to fully understand anxiety in order for them to help you. 
You know what I mean? They can help so they can help you and they can support you even if they don't understand it. So I think the most important thing is if they can at least support you and it, even if they don't fully understand it, then maybe try to take that as a win, right? Like if they can just if they can just support me, then that's okay. They don't have to fully understand it. But can they support me in that moment? And I think that's the most important thing that you really want to try to see if your family can support you. Okay, so um, let me see. I think I got a few other questions about symptoms, so I'll try to answer those very quickly. Somebody asked about if it's normal for your heart rate to stay high before it goes back down to normal. And I'm assuming that this person means when you're feeling anxious. So yes, this is normal for it to your heart rate to still be elevated. It can take time for your heart rate to go back down. Another system, or sorry, system, another symptom question was if anxiety can cause poor memory or memory issues. And the answer is yes, it can cause some memory problems and brain fog and symptoms like that. Um, let's see, because I know we're running out of time. So someone else posted, it wasn't necessarily a question, but they just wrote white coat syndrome. But I'm assuming they're wanting to know more information about how to work through white coat syndrome. So first of all, this is completely normal for many, many people to experience white coat syndrome. So for those who don't know white coat syndrome, what this means is that um, when you're feeling really anxious being at the doctor's office. So then when they check your heart rate or they check your blood pressure, it goes up um, when they're trying to check it. You know, your blood pressure gets higher in the doctor's office. So my best advice for this is to try to ask the nurse or the doctor to check your blood pressure towards the end of the appointment if they can. Because by that point, your heart rate and your blood pressure typically go down a little bit and you're feeling a little bit less anxious throughout the appointment. It's always in the beginning of the appointment when we walk in and your heart rate, you know, your heart's racing and your blood pressure's up and then they take your blood pressure and then you're freaking out and you're like, oh my God, why is my blood pressure so high? And then they're looking at you like, is, it, is your blood pressure normally this high? And you're like, no. And it's just this whole thing, you know, I'm sure... If you're listening and this is something you relate to, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you before, but just try to let the doctor or the nurse know that you're, you are feeling anxious. So that way they're aware of it, depending on, you know, if your blood pressure is slightly elevated during the appointment. But I just want you to remember, just because it's higher at the doctor's office does not mean that it's an accurate reading. And what I mean by that is, is when you're anxious, your blood pressure does temporarily rise at, you know, when you're anxious or you're panicking, but it does go back down. So I know it can feel really scary if you're at the doctor's office and it goes up, but maybe you can see if they can kind of wait until the end of your appointment and in that way, your blood pressure typically will go down a little bit and then you might feel more at ease and you might feel like you're getting a more accurate reading towards the end of the appointment when your anxiety isn't super high. And all right, so I'm going to wrap up the episode. This was a bit longer episode today, but um, you know, there were a bunch of questions that I got, so I tried to answer as many as I could and there were some other questions about depersonalization, derealization, and reassurance seeking. So I would recommend checking out some of my earlier episodes where I talk more in depth about those topics. So I really enjoyed doing this anxiety Q&A episode. It was the first time I was doing it. So I liked being able to ask you guys 
what questions you had and you know I'll definitely do another Q&A episode in the future if you guys enjoyed this so you know I hope I was able to answer a lot of the questions and um yeah so I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you have a good weekend and as always if you're able to leave a rating and write a review it would mean the absolute world to me but either way I really appreciate you tuning into the episode and I'll see you next week.